Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. This is our weekly podcast, and it's usually about food, about passion, and changing the world. Um, and the world needs to change, especially uh, the last couple weeks that we've lived through. We've got a very special guest today, Jason Vincent, who is with a restaurant called Giant in Chicago, has been a share our strength and a no kid hungry champion for many many years, and now is on the front lines of also trying to figure out how to rescue and save the restaurant industry that is so important, um, not just to listeners of Ad Fashion and Stir, but really to all Americans, given the role that restaurants play as anchors in their community, uh, bringing people together, uh, really providing not just food, but a place for people to find community. And in so many cases, uh, restaurants have also been involved very philanthropically. This conversation may sound a little bit different than some of our other conversations because, like everybody else, uh, we are in our homes. We were working with a makeshift studio, but um, we think we're going to have a really important conversation to understand what the restaurateurs uh, who we know and love are going through right now. Jason, thanks so much for being with us from your home in Chicago. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. Uh, Jason, as I say, I know you, you've been involved with us for a long time. You're not only an, as considered an essential restaurant in Chicago and nationally, but somebody who's been a leader in the fight to help end childhood hunger. Uh, you've been actively involved in the No Kid Hungry campaign. Not too long ago, you wrote a piece for Food & Wine magazine called A Recipe to Fight Childhood Hunger. Uh, but now we're going through something unlike any of us have ever gone through before. Let's start by just Telling us what it's like uh, for you. I'm, I want to talk about the broader issues facing the industry, but what have you personally uh, dealt with just over the last couple of weeks? The last couple of weeks have been intense on just about every front. It's the great equalizer, right? Sickness, it brings everybody down to the same level with, with so much difference in every part of our society. And I'm not just talking, you know, some places are hot, some places are cold, everything. But even, you know, even within a a family unit of four, which is, you know, now we're where we are there, you know, you see differences between your two children. And I mean, not that we didn't notice them before, but now it's like when you put the world, when you put every single thing that you have and notice and everything that makes up your brain, under a microscope and you have to look at it. You really, really notice the differences in everything. And sometimes that's beautiful and sometimes it's painful and it's intense. It's heavy. It would be something that I didn't really wish on other people, except everybody's going through it. You used your daughters as an example of differences that you've seen. Can you give us some others in terms of just what your perspective has been like these last few weeks? From the, the 30,000 foot view, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. So that's, mm-hmm. that's an easy, you know, inroad. Those are differences. Their, their style of learning is different. But then you see, you see the, the crinkles on their face when they hear the word coronavirus on the news. You, you see the pause after hearing about a ventilator you see their their ears perk up differently and you just see their they they are different people 
as, as is my wife, as am I, you know, not because we're both, you know, there, there are similarities, obviously, you know, we're, we're both, you know, white Americans who are of a similar age, but then there's, there's just, we're processing everything differently. And we're trying, we're both trying to find common ground, how to, how to discuss it. The same thing happened in, in our restaurant when we were having the very difficult conversation about what do we do? Like, what do we, this is, you know, now a week ago, which feels like a year ago, you know, do we, what are we doing to be responsible? You know, we, this, this was the the catalyst for the, the closure. You know, we, we decided to close before we had to, and it was because of exactly that. But in that conversation, you know, there are parts of it, man, that became pretty Lord of the flies, you know, kind of, kind of all of a sudden which is like, we're looking at our bank account and we're like, okay, how do we take care of our employees? How do we divide this up? Because you're, you're, you're not just the father of two daughters. You're the father of a restaurant family, really. I, I, I don't really love to say family when we're talking about restaurant because I think a lot of people use that to, to, to eventually take advantage of their employees. You know, come on, buddy, we're all a family. You can work this extra hour. You can work for no pay. And that's not right. We're entering into a contract with with people who work for us, and that includes taking care of them. You know, and and at this point, it's like I think a lot of us felt our fingernails tearing off because we're trying to stay on, we're trying to hold on to a little se- sense of normalcy, a little sense of okay, there's money coming in, there's money going out, we're going to be okay. But I got to be honest, man, it it's just money, you know. It's just stuff like we talked about. Um, it's not for us. It's not worth it. Potentially, you know, who knows? Hindsight's going to change everything, right? How many employees do you have, Jason? Uh, we have two restaurants, and then we're we're partners at the Ace Hotel. So the Ace has hundreds of employees. Uh, Chef Special, which is our cocktail bar, has fifty. And then Giant uh, has 25. Did you furlough employees or did you have to lay them off? Or how does that work technically? Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to taking care of them. And we're, we're trying to make the best decisions in that. We are a little bit, um, we're in a little bit of a curious situation because for the past several years, we've provided health insurance for all of our employees through a measure where we take a little bit from the customers, we take a little bit from the employee, and then we make up the rest. So, you know, <laughs> it's uh, in busier months, we're, we're, as a company, putting in less because we're busier. We have more sales, the customers put in more. And then in slower months, we put in more because there's less sales. When we're closed, <laughs> there are no sales and there's no employee contribution. And we very early on made the decision to keep providing health insurance. I mean, it, I shouldn't say we made the decision. It's a no brainer. So in order to, we have to keep them employed or otherwise they go to Cobra, which is much more expensive. So we just, we're keeping them employed. There's, you know, Pritzker, the governor of Illinois has uh, expanded unemployment benefits. um, So we don't have to technically go through the process of terminating them and rehiring them. But it's, you know, it's also, this is, this is finite. If uh, unnamed insurance company X doesn't give us deferral on that, that, you know, that's everything in our bank account or our monthly 
health insurance bill for the company is $25,000. Wow. So, you know, if this, again, that, that magnifying glass on everything, you know, if people didn't understand how fakakt the uh, healthcare system in this country was, maybe now they understand, you know, it's a, it's a tough lesson to have to learn in a, in a terrible time, but man, lots of stuff needs to get fixed. Uh, and this is something you may or may not have done and may or not, may or may not want to talk about, but have you, and don't feel like you have to, have you done a calculation of how long you can continue to make this work? Uh, for the health insurance, if we don't get a deferral, it's two months is, is what we have in the account. Yeah. And when you said you closed the restaurants before you had to, was that about good citizenship, just trying to do the right thing to contain the spread of the virus? What was that conversation like? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was, again, it was, uh, it, this is, you know, we're, we're approaching every, every decision with as much information as we can get at the time. Then it was Saturday night. It was last Saturday night where I'm looking at like our bar and there was, you know, 120 people in there and it felt gross. It felt bad. It felt wrong. So we closed Governor Pritzker, I think the day after on Sunday, ordered us to close. So, you know, cool. And then we're having the same discussions every day. And, you know, finally, we just, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to make this, I don't want to seem, seem sanctimonious or like some sort of martyr or whatever. People should do what they feel is right. If they, if they feel that it's okay to, you know, keep running a takeout system or, or whatever, please go ahead and do it. You know, I don't know. So we decided to shut down entirely because, um, because of the same reason, you know, it's like it, our, our staff is no less important to me than the customers. So who knows what the staff is doing? Who knows if they have an, an older or infirmed relative who they're going to take care of? Who knows, you know, who knows, who knows? What if it's a, it's a big game that we like to play all the time. And it goes from what if we put the stake on the chicken set or, you know, what if we paid for health insurance or what if we signed, you know, tried to run a nonprofit, you know, what if, and what if we close everything? And then the bad side of it is what if somebody dies because of something that we did that was based on a, a financial decision? And again, man, it's, it's just money. Those are those are pretty heavy things to weigh, and you know. As and I put salt on food for a living, man. Hi, I'm Paul Woodhull, but you can call me Woody. I've been blessed with the opportunity to produce, add passion and stir over the past few years, and to work with Billy, Debbie, and all of the great people at Share Strength on the No Kid Hungry campaign. Every podcast we produce provides me with insight and uplift in trying times. But in the three years that we've been producing Ad Passion and Stir, there's never been a moment like the one we face right now. As I record this message, over 168 million meals have been missed just in the past two weeks by at-risk children who rely on free and reduced school lunch and breakfast. It's a frightening number that is overshadowed by the importance and consequence of the pandemic crisis. But the consequences of childhood hunger are just as dire, and the aftershocks to the millions of kids who are missing the meals they rely on schools to provide 
will reverberate through our country for years. But there is good news. The No Kid Hungry campaign is distributing millions of dollars in grants to the people and organizations on the front lines of childhood hunger, innovating solutions to make sure that all children are fed, even in the face of the coronavirus crisis. Please, go to nokidhungry.org, that's nokidhungry.org, to make a donation or to apply for a grant in your community. Even just $1 will provide 10 nutritious meals to hungry and at-risk kids. Please, help us help them. And share this podcast with your friends, neighbors, and communities so together we can end childhood hunger in America. Thank you. So Jason, as I'm listening to you talk about these really heavy decisions that needed to be made and the impact on the restaurant industry, of course, I, you know, I can't escape the irony that my colleagues and I have been talking about these last few days, you know, at Share Our Strength, uh, the No Kid Hungry campaign exists for one reason, and that's frankly because of people like you, uh, chefs and restaurateurs who have made such a commitment to ensuring that every child in this country who's eligible for a school lunch or a school breakfast is getting it. Uh, and they're the very people who enabled Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign to do what it does, which is to make sure that every eligible kid who needs a school meal, a school lunch or school breakfast is getting it. Uh, you, Jason, and many of your colleagues are the only reason that Share Our Strength has been successful at that. Now, of course, our work is more necessary than ever. We're trying to find ways to replace the meals that kids depended on at schools. And we're doing that through grants to school districts, to uh, food banks. We're actually getting a million dollars out the door just about each week for the next five weeks. We've committed uh, an initial set of grants of $5 million. But that's all money that you've raised. And now, um, you know, the chefs and the restaurateurs are in a position where they're going to need help themselves. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Obviously, that's our, our first responsibility. But we also want our listeners to understand how to be helping chefs and restaurants. And I know that you've also thought about this from, uh, from a policy perspective. You've been involved in communications to Illinois Governor Pritzker. Uh, what kind of things should we all understand that the restaurant and the culinary community need from government at a time like this? Well, f- first, I, I do want to let you know that how, how important the, the information that I've gained through No Kid Hungry, how important that information was to our decision to close. Like we were able to, we were able to like look at the end of this, amalgus as that is, like whenever that is, it's just what does the end of it look like? And then work backwards to the meantime, if that makes any sense. And we could say, you know, the, there are children who the only meals that they get we live in a nice area in Chicago. It's, you know, very multi, multi-generational, multi-national. And there are, you know, a bunch of different financial situations in our, in our community. And there are kids in, in my kid's school. We, we have breakfast after the bell in Illinois. There are kids in my kid's school and the only meals that they get are breakfast and lunch. Um, Jason, you were describing yes, how your your own girls, your daughters, were processing all of this. Would love to hear about it through their eyes. 
we we started the whole thing with kid kid literal kid gloves on you know just just like i don't want to scar my kids you know what i mean but at the same time real talk is getting more and more real and especially on a micro level where you know we're talking about their their school and their friends and people that they know who are higher risk because their parents you know it's i saw somebody I saw somebody on Twitter this morning describe how all of a sudden unskilled workers became essential workers real fast. A lot of these uh, kids, they have parents who are, you know, potentially working in a factory or, you know, whatever. Like they're bringing home money. They're providing for their family. And you and I both know, and I'm trying not to sound too dark, but there are a lot of shitty people in the world. And, Sometimes people that run factories that, that work on, that, that benefit off of unskilled, potentially undocumented labor, um, they don't care about a coronavirus. They care about their bottom line, and it's, it's gross. I, I don't, it's, a, it's a bigger commentary, but it's like this is, a, this is an opportunity to look at everything, and it's the worst kind of opportunity. It's the kind that's going to cost lives and livelihoods and friendships. And things like that. I mean, everybody is banding together right now. I've seen some of the most unbelievable acts of humanity during distancing than I've ever seen. The people who aren't helping out right now, you know, noted. Like, that's for later, um, but noted. And and so, Jason, for uh, those of us who are in touch with governors, senators, members of Congress, uh, trying to get them to focus and, uh, you know, as we're recording this, actually, uh, the, the Senate has been trying to pass a third stimulus bill. For those of us uh, in touch with them, and particularly governors of states, what kind of things should we be urging them to do to, to help the restaurant industry come back and, and to protect its employees? Uh, well, I mean, I, I do have to, I, I do have to say that um, the rest on the restaurant industry is obviously incredibly important to me because I'm, it's all I know. It's all I've ever done, but this isn't, this isn't a one industry problem. You know what I mean? This is, this is global. Sure. This is everything. This is, this is, you know, for everybody who's out there saying we can't bail out the airlines, we can't bail out the cruise ship industry and all that stuff. Yes, we can. And yes, we should. And the same goes for every industry that you know. Because the cruise ship industry is, isn't just, you know, um, John Emerald Princess, whatever his last name, <laughs> whatever his last name is. It's, you know, there are millions of employees. There are people who depend on that. And yes, we can bail them out as people. The problem is going to be when, um, you know, people try and put, it's the same shitty people we just talked about who own the factories. You put money into their hands. We are not sure that it's getting to, we're not sure that they're not going to spend it on automation and replacing the employees. You know, we're, we're not sure. And relying on those people uh, to, to dole out money to their employees is a bad idea. Everybody should be pushing for cash in hand, 100% unemployment for every, everybody. Because this is, it's too big. You know what I mean? This is this. We need a mulligan on these couple of months. Just turn off the economy, turn it back on. 
What kind of things are your colleagues saying? I'm, I'm assuming you've been in touch both in Chicago and elsewhere with others uh, in the industry. Are they thinking about it uh, as broadly as you are? You've got a, I mean, you, you've really got a great global perspective on what needs to happen, not just a self-interested perspective um, as a restaurateur. Um, I think I know restaurateurs well enough to know that most of them are probably thinking about it the way you are, because as we talked about earlier, they're so involved in community, but um, any conversations or any others in the industry that uh, you think it makes sense to look to for leadership? For leadership? Yeah. I mean, Tom Coliccio, Coliccio uh, is, first of all, he's, he's got the, he's, he's got people's attention. You know what I mean? People know who he is and he understands his positioning on that. He understands that he's a recognizable character and he uses it for his, for good. Jose Andres, obviously, people like Vivian Howard in Deep Run, North Carolina, who, through her whole rise to fame, has literally shouldered an entire community, building them up and making making that little corner of North Carolina a, a, a really beautiful place. And, you know, it's people like that that are going to be well-positioned to drive up the road to D.C. and say, this is what I did here, this is how I did it, and this is what we need to do. Even if it's, even if it's not um, taken to an exponential level where it's the whole country, this is what me and, and, and Ashley Christensen want to do for North Carolina as a whole. And that's what every – it's really remarkable how we all went through the same thoughts. And then, you know, immediately, like across the restaurant business – and we're all having these same, like, how do we do it? We, you know, we're, we're, we provide, we cook, we, we shelter, we comfort, we, and everybody has this same um, part inside of them that just bubbles up when something bad happens. And we just want to cook more and provide more and shelter more and comfort more. And, you know, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing. People like Paul Kahn and Rick Bayless here, Jason Hamill, um, you, you know, these guys are, they're true leaders in their kitchens, Stephanie Izard, they're, and, and, and over their restaurants, and they can do it bigger and better and really get people to pay attention. I've also heard many of them describe you as a true leader, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you leave yourself out of that list. I, you know, I'm just happy to be, I'm just happy to be safe and healthy and be able to hug my kids and, you know, but it's even to go back to, to what we were saying about like the, just the differences that you notice in things, there are some, there are some stark ones too. Like I look at, at my two restaurants, Giant Chef Special. Giant is four years old. We, it's, you know, a small, tiny restaurant, small, tiny staff. Um, incredibly personal. So saying this, I might cry. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have all our investors paid off and, and we don't owe anybody any money. So like I, I'm doing back of the napkin math to see how we stay open. Yep. Chef special, you know, it's busy and it's new and it's big and probably makes more money. We owe a shitload of people money, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, all that stuff. It's like, it's going to reopen. But, you know, it's just stuff. <sighs> just stuff, right? Yeah. 
but it's the people yeah, that's it's, important. It's like it's like I have a I have a fucking spreadsheet of people, <laughs> you know, like what if? It's the what if category. It's like what what am I gonna do? Like if if I need to, I'm, I want to take care of all these people. They are, you know, again, I'm not going to say they're my family to them because I don't want to take advantage of them. But yeah, man, they're my family. They're my, I don't have friends. I've been in the kitchen. I, I have comrades, you know. Jason, just by the way, how did you, how did, what was your start in the kitchen? Where did it all begin? Um, I, so when I was growing up in University Heights, Ohio, there was, um, there was this restaurant that was on my way. I would walk to school starting in kinder, you know, kindergarten by myself. That's the way the world was back then. And, you know, it was like a quarter, a quarter, three quarters of a mile. And I would walk past this place called, um, first it was called our gang. And then it changed over to called be called Norton's. And our gang was really neat. Cause it had, it was like one of those places with a bunch of like tchotchkes on the wall. And it had like a little model train running along the, the, the uh, soffit and it was just a neat place for kids. They had milkshakes and, you know, you could always get like a burger and they were always really nice. You got a booth and in the basement, they had a video game arcade. And then they went out of business, a place called Pizzazz opened up in that space right when I was turning like 13, 14. And I applied for a job. I was like, you know what? I've gone to this place forever. I can, I know my parents know where it is. Like it's in our neighborhood. I know the people. And I worked at Pizzazz for eight years and it was a kitchen. It was pizzas and calzones. It's still there. It's great. Pizzas and calzones. And the, the people who were there were, were, I don't know. Some of them were like ex Afghanistan, you know, Marines. And some of them were, snotty college kids and some of them were cute girls and you know some of them were stoners from the local college and I don't know it was just cool I loved being there I loved being in the kitchen and I still credit the owner Dave with sending me down the the wrong path you know he tried to steer me away but he he failed (laughs) you knew from a very early age you were going to do this yeah, I mean, I all through I went to college for like English education, and I was going to be an English teacher, and decided that that was a bad idea. But I was cooking the whole time, and yeah, I've never. I mean, since I was fourteen, I've been in a kitchen. You know, Jason, the other thing that we've talked about on this podcast before, and it kind of comes to mind again in the time that we're uh, all living through, is we've talked a lot about mental health issues as they uh, apply to the restaurant industry. Uh, you know, for a whole variety of reasons, and. Um, I know some folks have been concerned that in terms of what everyone's going through and the, the kind of the self-imposed isolation and the social distancing, there's a side of that that um, could really be worrisome for people who struggle with mental health issues. I don't know if you have any perspective on that, but it's something that I've started to hear some conversation about. Uh, it's it's terrifying, long and short. It's, um, you know, for a, for a lot of people... Uh, who I know personally who have uh, mental health issues, those it's, it's, it's a good idea to check in on them. I personally struggle with depression and thankfully I'm medicated and I'm not thinking about hurting myself anymore. I'm an alcoholic and I found that out uh, over 30 years in the kitchen and uh, quit drinking 10 months, 10 months ago. <laughs> so, woof. <laughs> It's just a little tough. 
Yeah, this is a heck of a time, right? To be Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I keep going back to that. You remember that movie Airplane where they where um Lloyd Bridges keeps saying, you know, that I picked the wrong month to quit sniffing glue. Oh right, right, right. <laughs> right. Like right. right. <laughs> so uh it's something. But um yeah, I mean if I, if anybody's listening to this who either has um issues or, you know, to be frank, if issues are developing this is when the, the raw nerve gets exposed. This is when you can really, really dial in and see the progression of deterioration when you're, you know, acutely aware of, of yourself and your body and your gut health and your, your mental health, all that stuff matters. So, so take, take note of it. Talk to people if you need to be more alone if you need to, but from experience, People who don't like being alone, being made to be alone, it, it's it's a it gets touchy real fast. Do not self-medicate. It's a bad idea in situations like this. Keep trying. Keep trying to exercise. Call me if you want to. Seven seven three four eight four three four two zero. Call me seven seven three four eight four three four two zero. We can talk. Uh, that's an incredibly generous offer, Jason. But I think it's one that could mean a lot to folks, because just as you know, talking is so vital when you're feeling that uh, that isolated and that afraid. And that, as you said, it is a terrifying time. And I'd be um, very surprised if there weren't more people in need of talking to somebody like you. So I'm just going to repeat your number, 773-484-3420. And as I say, it's an incredibly generous offer from somebody who um, I've only known as generous in the eight to 10 or more years that you've been working with us. So thanks. It's a scary time and folks are going through a lot of things at once, including of course, uh, making sure that they take care of themselves and their own families. I think for a lot of us, the incoming every day has been almost overwhelming, trying to keep up with the news, trying to keep up with the uh, public health instructions, trying to keep up with uh, what we need to do to uh, make sure uh, businesses and the economy and all of us recover from this. Uh, but at a personal level, uh, as you've just talked about it, in terms of, uh, in your words, when the raw nerve uh, gets exposed, uh, that's when people need to talk to each other one-on-one. Uh, I would encourage people to do it because we've, we've all got a lot to get through. I just want to thank you, Jason, for taking the time, for doing everything you're doing right now, and for your just your long history of commitment to the No Kid Hungry campaign and to making sure that uh, kids get fed. Uh, I, I hope you see in everything we do in the weeks ahead, your fingerprints on it. Every time we get out a million dollars, as I say, which we're, we're doing roughly once a week to food banks and school districts to make sure get kids get fed. That's because of the foundation that you and chefs and restaurateurs have created over the last five years. People have been incredibly generous over the last 10 days, but um, that foundation was built over a a much longer period of time. And we remain committed in terms of the lane that we swim in is making sure that, you know, we just knock down every existing barrier between a hungry kid and a healthy meal. And um, we couldn't do it without our, our chefs and our restaurants. And uh, we also want to be fully engaged in helping you and your colleagues on this, on this long road back. Thanks and continue to take care of yourself. We all do have to take care of ourselves. And I always Think of, uh, you know, what the flight attendants tell us and back in the days when you could get on an airplane, which are just about no longer, but, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first so you're better able to take care of those who 
who depend on you. So we've got to we've got to keep our own oxygen masks on, and we've got to take care of our mental and physical health. You're you're really an inspiration, Jason, in terms of the way you think about this. I can't wait until uh, thousands of Chicagoans and others are able to go back to Giant um, and back to the Ace Hotel and back to your various enterprises to enjoy and and savor the the beauty that you create for them. So thank you so much for being on Ad Passion and Stir. Yeah, Billy, thank you for everything that you do, really. It's an honor to be a part of uh, No Kid Hungry. Well, I look forward to staying in touch. If you see things, and uh, I'm I'm not saying this uh, just uh, to be polite. This is really uh, a real request. If you see things that Share Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign should be supporting and funding in the Chicago area or anywhere else. Uh, We've always had a great partnership with the uh, Greater Chicago Food Depository. I know we're going to be making grants uh, in Chicago and Illinois, uh, but if you see something that you think is worthy that needs support, that is struggling, and we can make a difference, uh, please let us know. Um, So for all of us at uh, Share Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign, for my sister Debbie Shore, who's usually part of these conversations, and Kelly Griffin and our producer, Woody, at District Productive. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for bearing with us through some technical difficulties that you might have noticed changed the sound quality of of, of this podcast just a little bit about halfway through. Uh, But we really appreciate you being with us. We'll try to continue to get important information about uh, the national and the local response to the coronavirus uh, out on this podcast on Ad Passion and Stir. So please continue to listen and share with others. Thanks so much. I'm Billy Shore. Ad Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Ad Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall.